Mantle is surging. Maris finally homers. Ford gets scolded by pitching coach. And Battlin' Billy is in the news. It's episode four of Baseball 61. There it is. There it is. If it stays fair, there it is. Number 60. How about that? A standing ovation for Roger Maris, who got number 60. Fastball hits deep to right. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Baseball 61, a podcast about the historic 1961 New York Yankees and the Major League Baseball season of 1961. I'm Dan Lavallo. We pick up with Friday, April 21st. Manager Ralph Houck had promised Whitey Ford he would pitch every fourth day. The pitcher Casey Stengel labeled the chairman of the board as proving his new manager made the correct move And once again, it was the Ford-Mantle duo that lifted the Yankees to victory and into a first-place tie with the Detroit Tigers. All this following the Yanks' 4-2 win over Baltimore. In Baltimore, it was the Yankees' first road game of the season. The game was played in a crisp two hours and 17 minutes. Think about this. On Monday of that week, Mantle homered and Ford pitched a complete game shutout. On Friday... Ford tossed another complete game victory, scattered seven hits, walked one, struck out four. With early season rainouts, you know what this meant? Whitey had started three of the Yankees' first six games. <laughs> Baseball in 1961. As for Mantle, he continued his torrid hitting, belting his fourth home run of the season, a two-run shot in a three-run third inning. Ford also knocked in a run. Remember when pitchers used to hit? Already there's talk of Mantle's start and Babe Ruth's single-season home run record in the same sentence. Can you believe that? John Drebinger of the New York Times writing that Mantle has four home runs in six games and did not hit his fourth home run of the season in 1960 until Game 24. It also placed him eight games ahead of the pace Babe Ruth set when he hit 60 home runs in 1927. So they were already talking about Mantle and Ruth's home run pace. Manager Hawk was also singing Mantle's praises. Quote, I don't think I've ever seen Mantle more determined to come through with a big year. I could almost feel him burning up inside when he failed to hit in the first two games. If he can maintain a fairly even pace, I think he could have a terrific year. By the way, in the Yankees' win, shortstop Tony Kubek became the first Yankee regular to get a hit ending a season-opening 0-for-15 slump. Probably the happiest man in the ballpark, by the way, Yankees catcher Yogi Berra. As I said, they were playing in Baltimore's Memorial Stadium, and that ballpark had a new look. They uh, changed the backstop, sloping what was once an 18-foot-high wall behind home plate down to field level so more seats could be added. This reduced the footage between home plate and the backstop, leading Barra to comment, gosh, this is really great. Wish somebody would think up something to cut down the distance in back of the catcher at our stadium. We have the most ground to cover behind home plate of any park in our league. Incidentally, Baltimore, which gave the Yankees a race for the money in the 1960 American League pennant battle, 
was expected to do the same this year, but with a defeat, the Orioles were 1-5, and five, four games behind the Yankees. What? There's just 157 games left in the season. The date, April 21st, was also significant because it marked the first Major League Baseball game played in Minnesota. The Twins made their debut at Metropolitan Stadium after moving from Washington, and they lost to the new expansion Washington Senators 5-3. to A couple of significant notes surrounding that game. First of all, the contest was not a sellout. 24,606 fans came to the game, 6,000 shy of the ballpark's capacity. And get this, the owner of the Twins, Calvin Griffith, and team road secretary, Howard Fox, were denied entry to the stadium's press box because they didn't have their credentials. The Senators didn't know where to enter when they arrived at the ballpark and wandered around for about five minutes. Their manager, Mickey Vernon, got separated from his team, and he had to use his 20-year gold pass to gain entry into the ballpark so he could manage the game. Also, a big deal was made out of the fact the Twins, named after the Twin Cities of St. Paul and Minneapolis, played in a ballpark located in Bloomington, seven and a half miles south of the Minneapolis courthouse, and seven and a half miles southwest of the St. Paul Courthouse. The ballpark has since been raised, and it is the site of the Mall of America. Saturday, April 22nd, the Yankees have a scheduled day-night doubleheader in only their second and third road games of the season. Things did not go well. Yanks' five-game winning streak came to an end. With Ralph Terry on the mound, the Yankees dropped the day game 5-3, to three, before 12,536 fans. Reliever Ryan Duran took the loss as Baltimore snapped a 3-3 tie with a two-run eighth inning in another game played in a snappy two hours, 17 minutes. With 14,126 fans in attendance for the night game, the Yankees blew a 5-3 lead in the bottom of the seventh inning when Jackie Brandt slugged a two-run homer off of reliever Bill Stafford his second of the contest. The rains then came, and after a 32-minute rain delay, the umpires called the contest, meaning that under the rules of 1961, the game went into the books as a tie, as it was more than five innings long. All records from the game counted, but the game itself would be made up later in the season. Also of note, on this date, April 22nd, New York Governor Nelson Rockefeller saying he was acting, quote, as a baseball fan signed into law a bill giving New York City the okay to construct a 55,000-seat stadium for the yet-to-be-named ballpark for New York's new National League team, which had yet to be named. The city would build the park in Flushing Meadows, Queens, and the estimated cost, are you ready for this, $18 million. The city would then lease the park back to the team at a cost of between $300,000 and $650,000 annually, depending on receipts. Renderings of the park showed it to be a completely enclosed stadium. That never happened. Bill Shea, by the way, who worked hard to bring a National League team back to New York and worked hard to secure construction of a new stadium, hoped a lease between the city and team would be exercised by May 1st. And listen to what he said. Talk about optimistic. If the contracts are let by May 1st, there is a good chance that the stadium can be completed in time for the opening of the 1962 season. Shea also noted 
The stadium had been designed to someday include a dome. But that's for the future. One should not expect all his dreams to be answered, Shea said. Sunday, April 23rd. Yankees managed just five hits off Chuck Estrada and Dick Hall, dropping their second straight to the Orioles 4-1 before 18,704. Mickey Mantle slugged his fifth home run of the season, but left the game in the eighth inning as his right knee began to swell. Mick apparently hurt it on Saturday and aggravated the injury running into a fence in the Sunday game. Starting pitcher Danny McDivitt took the loss for the Yankees. The game featured a good old-fashioned rhubarb in the fourth inning. In these days, before replay, home plate umpire Joe Paparella overruled a call by third-base umpire Ed Runge and awarded Baltimore's Ron Hansen third base after Runge had ruled Hansen had been hit by a batted ball. That led Hauken Berra to protest vociferously, but to no avail. By the way, this was the same Ron Hansen who would someday play for the Yankees and Hauk in 1970. The incident also led to Yankees third baseman Cleet Boyer leaving the game because he was hit by that batted ball that bruised his left thumb. So Boyer was out, Yankees didn't get the call, and the standings through April 23rd looked like this. In the American League, the Yankees stood at 5-3 and three in third place, two games behind the first place seven and one Tigers. Minnesota stood in second place at seven and two. The expansion Angels were in last place at one and seven, six games back. And the National League, the eight and five Dodgers led the Giants and Cardinals by one game and the Pirates and Braves by a game and a half. The Cubs and Reds were two back and the Phillies in last at three games behind. For the Yankees, it was on to Detroit to play the first place Tigers. Monday, April 24th, the Yankees are suddenly in a tailspin, suffering their third straight loss, this time to those red-hot Tigers and Yankee killer Frank Larry. Yanks losing 4-3. Detroit chased Yankees starter and loser Bob Turley in the fifth inning. After dropping their first game of the season, the Tigers made it eight straight wins with Larry hurling a complete Game 7 hitter in a tidy two hours and 19 minutes before 5,662 fans. He improved his record to 3-0 and on the season. Now, I mentioned Larry is a Yankee killer. Well, get this. The win improved his lifetime record against the Bombers to 24-8. and As for the first-place Tigers, the winning streak was their longest since 1949 when they had a 10-game winning streak. Playing on a sore knee, Mickey Mantle went 1-for-3 with a run scored. So Mick played. Cleet Boyer did not. He remained sidelined with a bruised thumb as the Yanks dropped three games out of first place. And apparently, something was up. This was a concern as general manager Roy Hamey joined the club in Detroit. Thursday, April 25th. Something finally cooled off the Tigers. Rain. Facing rain and sub-40 degree temperatures, the Yankees-Tigers night game was rained out, although the Red Hot Tigers trying to keep the momentum, waited until the last minute before postponing the game. Meanwhile, with the Yankees general manager Roy Hamey in Detroit, the trade rumors were spinning. By the way, the Yankees rain out their fifth in two weeks since the season started. Now to the trade rumors. Word had it that Hamey was in conversation with the Cardinals about Bob Neiman, 
the Cards' 34-year-old outfielder. A Yankee pitching prospect was reportedly being dangled in front of St. Louis. There were also reports. Boy, even back then, the rumors, huh? There are also reports that the Yankees and Tigers were in talks about Detroit outfielder and Bronx native Rocky Calavito, who was off for, to a slow start with the Tigers. Deal never happened, but in 1968, in the waning days of his career, Calavito not only joined the Yankees, but appeared as an emergency pitcher for Hauk in the first game of a Sunday doubleheader at Yankee Stadium. I'll never forget it. And he was the winning pitcher against the first-place Tigers. His victory was part of a Yankees four-game sweep of Detroit that weekend in August of 1968. But back to 1961, uh, making the rumor rounds. Not only the possibility the Yankees would trade for Calavito, but also what to do with the 1962 baseball schedule when the National League would add two more teams and both leagues would be playing a 162-game season. Apparently, there were a lot of people upset that the 1961 season started at the quote-unquote early date of April the 11th. Whether it had been horrendous, everybody was complaining, how could you be playing baseball on April the 11th? Of course, now the season begins even earlier, April 1st, in the case of 2021, and sometimes in late March. But in 1961, there were complaints about the season starting as early as April 11th. Wednesday, April 26, before 4,676 fans in 40-degree temperatures, the Yankees win a 10-inning, 3-hour, 20-minute marathon over the Tigers, 13-11. to Mantle slugs two two-run homers, giving him seven in the season's first 10 games. He also has 15 runs battered in. Mantle, batting left-handed in the eighth inning, tied the game with a two-run shot off of Jim Donahue into the upper deck in right field. In the tenth inning, batting right-handed, Mickey slugged a homer with Hector Lopez on base into the upper deck and left. It marked the eighth time in his career he had homered from both sides of the plate in the same game. And in game ten, Roger Maris slugged his first home run of the season and Tony Kubek also belted his first homer. Also of note, the Tigers, who saw their eight-game winning streak, ended with Rocky Calavito homering. But Tigers general manager Rick Farrell denied that Calavito was about to be dealt to the Yankees. Good move, by the way. Here's what Rocky Calavito did in 1961 after his quote-unquote slow start with the Tigers. He slugged 45 homers knocked in 140 runs, batted 290, and had an OPS of 982. Incidentally, the winning pitcher in the game was Louis Arroyo. He uh, took over late in the game. Whitey Ford started the game, got hammered, allowed 10 runs, 6 earned on 11 hits and 6 into third innings pitched. Now, you think of Whitey Ford, right? And then Mickey Mantle. And then Billy Martin. That was the dynamic trio of the 1950s, Mantle, Ford, Martin, until general manager George Weiss traded Martin to Kansas City, claiming he was a bad influence on Mantle and Ford. Well, Martin was in the news again. He was featured in the latest edition of the Sporting News 
which came out on the date this game was played. The piece was about Battle and Billy. In fact, Martin collaborated with his longtime friend, sports writer Jim Scott of the Berkeley, California Gazette, to write a lengthy story about how he was not a fighter. Quote, I never started a fight in my life, but I've never walked away from one when someone jumped me. At the time, Martin was being sued by Cubs pitcher Jim Brewer for $1.04 million. Martin, then playing for the Reds, allegedly belted Brewer in a fight, but Billy claimed to have never thrown the punch, and his Reds teammate at the time, Cal McClish, admitted he was the one who threw the punch that fractured Brewer's cheekbone. Now Martin was with the Milwaukee Braves, his Reds playing days over, and he was claiming that the team could be as strong as some of the Yankees pennant winners on which he played. Martin said the best Yankees club he ever played with was the 1953 World Series champs. That uh, reminds me of a story in 1988. At the time, I was broadcasting for the Richmond Braves, the AAA affiliate of the Atlanta Braves, and I was down in spring training filming a television special for local Richmond TV. And it just so happened that the New York Yankees were in West Palm Beach to play the Atlanta Braves in an exhibition game. And as we're filming for the Richmond Braves, out of the corner of my eye, I could see Billy Martin wearing his Yankees warm-up jacket, walking over to meet with Eddie Matthews, his former teammate with the Milwaukee Braves. And boy, to be able to listen to that conversation between the two. That, of course, again in 1988. Meanwhile, Whitey Ford was also a lead story in the latest Sporting News edition, with a series of sketches showing how he gripped the baseball for various pitches. Fastball, curveball, changeup, forkball, etc. And he received some heat for the story from his pitching coach, Johnny Sane, who claimed Ford was giving the opposition an edge with these sketches. Whitey told Sane, don't worry, Several of these pitches I don't use myself. I was merely demonstrating them for the sporting news. Also of note, on this date, the Los Angeles Dodgers signed pitcher Don Newcomb trying to make a comeback and farmed him out to their farm team in Spokane for seasoning. Most recently, Newcomb pitched for the Reds and Indians. He turned down an offer to pitch for the L.A. Angels, opting to return to the Dodgers organization. Newcomb, of course, was an anchor of the Dodgers pitching staff when the club was in Brooklyn. And this note from the April 26th edition of the Sporting News. The subject was how safe records would be now that the American League schedule had been expanded from 154 to 162 games and the National League would undergo the same change in 1962. Veteran sports writer Frederick G. Lieb wrote, that most records would be safe. But here's what he added. Again, this was in the April 26th edition of the 1961 Sporting News. Quote, If any Ruth record will fall in the next five years, it is likely to be the one best known to fans, the Bambino's 60 homers in 1927. He then wrote, Who could challenge the record in the next few seasons? And he listed Mantle and Harmon Killebrew of the Twins among the candidates. Of Maris, he wrote, Roger Maris, the Yankees' new star and most valuable 1960 AL player, was red hot for the first half of last season, but his history has been one of batting sprees followed by dismal slumps 
and a general fall-off in the second half of the season. Frederick C. Lieb. Former Yankees manager Casey Stengel, also quoted in the Sporting News, by sports writer Joe Williams of the New York World Telegram and Sun. Here's what Casey said. Don't worry about them, meaning the Yankees. They'll do all right. So will the new man, meaning Ralph Houck, if the owners let him alone. Ha-ha, if the owners let him alone. Yogi ought to play left field in Yankee Stadium, and that other feller, meaning Hector Lopez, left field on the road. The Yankees beat seven teams in season series play last year. Now they got two new easy ones, Washington and Los Angeles, so it ought to be a cinch, either the White Sox or Richards, meaning Paul Richards, who was the Orioles manager, will run second. That from Casey Stengel. New York Daily News columnist Dick Young also had a piece in the Sporting News. He broke a story claiming the Yankees turned down a trade with the Los Angeles Dodgers during the winter, which would have sent catcher Elston Howard to Los Angeles for pitcher Johnny Padres and outfielder Duke Snyder. Imagine an outfield of Snyder, Mantle, and Maris, Young wrote. Young also stated that Cubs owner Phil Wrigley was thinking of installing lights at Wrigley Field so day games could be completed when daylight waned. Young wrote, 6-5, to five, the Cubs would schedule night games within a year from when the lights would be installed. And he wrote this about Yankees broadcaster Phil Rizzuto, quote, Aside to Phil Rizzuto, you have become a fine announcer, but don't make the same mistake others in your field have made after becoming established. The other day, the camera flashed a close-up of Charlie Finley in the A's box. He didn't know he was the new owner of the club. A man who covers his beat properly should know such things. You never stopped hustling in uniform. Don't stop now. That from Dick Young. Bill Veck, the president of the Chicago White Sox, also making news. Of course, a big deal was made when President John F. Kennedy, the new president, threw out the first pitch at the Washington Senators' opener on April 10th to start the 1961 season. Well, not to be outdone, here's what Veg did. He went out, and he found someone named John F. Kennedy to throw out the first pitch at the White Sox home opener. Quote, We couldn't get the president, so we came up with the next best thing. Our Kennedy is a politician, too, you know, even though he did lose. That John F. Kennedy ran for trustee in Oaklawn, a Chicago suburb, and lost. Leave it to Bill Veck. Next up for the Yankees, a trip back home to start a series with the Cleveland Indians. And that is where we will begin our next podcast. That is going to do it for our latest Baseball 61 podcast. Be sure to follow our podcast in the Apple Podcast directory, Google, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And you can also visit Baseball61.com. And as always, thank you for listening to Baseball 61. I'm Dan Lavallo.